this live? Are we loaded? It's it's live now. It's the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast. We are back. I'm back. This is Todd Mitchell here. There's John Scheiber there. Welcome back, pal. How's it going, man? It feels good to be back. Um, had that second baby put me out of commission for a couple weeks. Congrats on the birth of your child. Thank you. Valerie Elaine is her name. And another beautiful girl. Perfect. I think her APGAR score. No, I know so. It was nine when they released us. I mean, you can't ask her much better than that. Yeah, she is a, a vibrant, little, full of life baby. I, I got to see her because we once again took part together in a friend's wedding. Yes, it was awesome, and it, it was it was a lot of fun. But it was it was real nice to see your uh, lovely wife and lovely uh, new child. Yeah, thank you very much, sir. And then you're still neck deep in home construction. Oh man, nothing's changed on my end. Not even enough to really uh, give an update. It's just house stuff until it's done so yeah it's in that mode um how far along uh are you like what contractors are walking in and out of there right now yeah the uh brickwork is done now they're about to start laying down flooring uh we had a funny thing where we went to visit it uh like yesterday and this guy steps out of a van like hey my name is cleat i think he said his name was cleat (laughs) and (laughs) and he goes i'm the central air vacuum such and such guy and and i just wanted to tell you don't don't talk to the builder about how we're going to do this after close because after close i'm going to offer you these deals on this stuff and at the moment it was like that sounds super shady and i don't care about any of it right now i just like it was hot already the sun's beating down i'm like we're here to look at the house take a look at a couple things and get out please cleat leave me alone (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's in, that's interesting. Uh, I told my wife, I was like, you know, a way to get in good with me is if you have something that we need to talk about in eight months. If you just walked by me and went, hey, I just wanted to remind you, we got something to talk about in eight months and I am not going to talk to you about it right now. I would high five you and tell people you were my best friend. <laughs> just do not bother me right now if you don't need to. Yeah. It's good to have you back. And uh, tonight we're right. going to talk about the topic of accessibility in games and uh yes. so before i came to you with tonight's show notes like what did you know about this topic like whatsoever because and and this is not uh against your credit because this is something people don't really think about but what what did you know about this yeah and it's and it's gonna my answer is gonna surprise you and you're actually gonna be like you're gonna feel like this was a a uh divine happy accident of okay. some sort I got on the Mad Max form. I was playing the Mad Max game. And there was there's one particular race in that game to where if frankly if you don't have the right car build, you just can't win. You, I've tried. I've oh, right. tried to do it any other way and you can't. It's the stank gum race. Mm-hmm. And so I stripped the car down completely, gutting the weight, just put a battering ram on it and the necessary grappling hook and I just sped past all of the little cars and just killed the boss. Yay, I won real quick. So I got on the forum because I noticed a bunch of people were complaining about that and were get dinging the game saying, you know, why would you make this unbeatable part? And so I made a thread on Steam Forum that you know I like to s- snake through sometimes. Uh, why, I don't know. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. I put a thread on there. I was like, this is how you do it. And somebody uh, messaged me and was like, hey, listen, I have disabilities. Can I send you my save game file? You beat that race for me. And then give it back. He's like, I just don't think I can do this. Oh, man. And uh, yeah, because he said, I just can't do enough with the controller to do the the race is just too hard. And to his credit, it was very difficult. I mean, you got to do a lot of different 
you know, all the bumpers are involved in this, all of the stick pushes, everything on that Xbox controller is used at some point. Sure. And uh, so I told him, I go, yeah, man, I'll beat it and send it back to you. And then he messaged me and he's like, actually, I did your build and it gave me enough of a boost to be able to win. So thanks. And that person added me. I've never played a game with the poor guy, but he added me a really long time ago um, when that game was new. It was at like 2015, 20, 2013. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, and so I'm just, he, he'll say something, happy message on my wall or something every now and then. But other than that, I've not spoken to him. But that is the first time I encountered disabilities and got me really thinking about that. I was like, man, there's some people out there that want to enjoy video games because they are limited in the first place. Yeah. And so how can developers sit there and think about what to do for that. And then here you go. You had this this fantastic resource that you sent me that was really cool. I didn't get to dig as nearly as deep as I will um, for sure in the future. And then thus is the show. Yeah, exactly. So it, it came up for me because I was uh, trying to participate in the regional co-op for game developers that I try to sort of stay active in. And it came up because someone, I forget exactly what the post was, but they, a lot of times people will just come with their games and say, here's what I'm doing, here's how it's going, here's what my focus is for the coming weeks, and people chit-chat about, like, oh, you're making a racing game, and that's cool, how are you approaching the steering mechanics, and just little stuff like that. And it's a super cool activity to sort of keep your mind in the right place throughout the day, or, or uh, you know, get get you sharing ideas with people and learning from one another, It's it's just nice. But this topic of accessibility came up, and it's tough, because when you're a game developer and you do have to think about it, which I would say there are certainly developers who don't think about it at all, but I, I would strongly encourage people to sort of get their, their head around this topic, but it'll come up and people will either do way too little or focus on it way too much. And I don't think you can focus on it too much, but what I mean by that is that they'll argue like, well, Call of Duty shouldn't be like Call of Duty because it's not accessible for people with disabilities. Or you can't have this mechanic because it eliminates this. And that's there are a lot of myths that we should sort of dispel for people just getting into it or for people who have been around it for years. There are really great resources. The one you mentioned that I sent you is actually at GameAccessibilityGuidelines.com. That's somewhere you can go and find really great standards for development at different levels, basic, intermediate, advanced, processes for just including those steps that people need. And there are actually a lot of different situations. You, you might think of like maybe somebody uh, only has one arm or, you know, just really extreme cases. There's actually a wide variety of things that are categorized as impairments in, in games and it's stuff like maybe somebody has a uh, reading problem. You know, maybe maybe yeah. someone's not, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe someone's not very advanced in their reading level. Uh, colorblindness, people do think of because that's a biggie. Like a, a lot of adult, especially males, have uh, colorblind colorblindness issues. But then there's stuff like temporary injuries. You, you know, you break your arm, you break, you know, a finger, and suddenly your whole gaming thing is changed for you know maybe months. It's, yeah. it's just a lot more people are affected by this stuff than you think. And so for the topic of game development, it's actually pretty huge. So it's it, it's interesting that as a player that you came up with a story like that that was like, yeah, I, this has affected me recently and people that I've crossed paths with as well. So I thought that was cool. 
Exactly. I, I knew that would that you would really enjoy that and be and um, be thrilled that that the it aligned with the topic so well. It stuck out to me. It always will because it was just really like wow. Like it kind of put you back a little bit when somebody sent that to me and was like, "Will you beat it and and just send me my save back?" And I'm thinking, man, that's intense because it's like I had disabilities. Yeah, how would that make me feel? Like if I, you know if I couldn't do that. But I guess you just have to accept the fact that that is the way the game mechanics are designed. But see, I, all it took was a little strategic altering in this case, and then he was given the advantage to be able to do it. So uh, I guess you could say, you know, there was his route. Yeah, and I, I think that's really cool. Like, people who want to game will find ways to game, and, like, that's an impressive story that, like, oh, this person says they did this. Like, here's something I need help with. Can you just get me over the hump here, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a really cool story. Um, and it's on a little side note there for uh, for the gamers. I'm glad I just found this key, but that's not what I wanted to say. Any game that allows you to build your own vehicle, break it. Put all of the fast parts on one time and just see what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's, that's what to do. Ruin that thing. So from the game development perspective – Accessibility, I, I want to handle it in a completely pragmatic way. Like, I want to talk about what's smart to, to think about, to focus on, how to sort of balance this out without some of the... It, it's probably too tough to call it virtue signaling, but there are people who really harp on this, like, all of you are evil for not doing more with this. And, and it's really easy to hear that and sort of overcorrect in the other direction. Like, hey, I'm not part of this, you know... Uh, special interest crusade of yours you need to get off my back and let me do my job uh i am interested in people doing their jobs and including these things like this website's huge because there are very very small things that will go a long way and make your game way more approachable to a much wider audience yeah and it's not really about what numbers you can bring in it is about if you can make a positive difference for one player that's huge yes and, and, and we'll, you know and uh, sorry to, to butt in, but hey, you know, I, I have something to say about the virtue signaling stuff, and it's going to be blunt. But frankly, you just have to understand that in certain cases, you are the minority. And it's not necessarily trying to come at you or come down on you. It's just the fact that you, the way you function or something, frankly, it just may not be what's normal. And, and let me uh, be clear. When I say this, when I say virtue signaling, I have never once heard this from a person who was impaired in any way. I'm talking about either developers or just game critics who who go, this developer doesn't do enough for people with impairments. And they use that to just sort of tear people apart. And it turns into this deeply negative thing. And uh, it sounds it sounds wild and super unusual, but it's actually pretty common. It's not hard to find this on Twitter or in the case of uh, uh, my experience in one of the groups that I participate in. One guy was really known for for harping on people's projects about this, and then he went as far as to to talk to a guy who's developing a game called Asylum, and he goes, "Well, you also need to change this name because that is deeply offensive." I'm like what so my goal here is to present this in a way that doesn't piss you off and lets you help people instead of just being an <laughs> asshole yeah i mean that's a that's a fairly good point and to realize that it's a minority group also i mean respect that too it's just not something that's normal so right. you can't you can't really look at an industry or a developer and be like well why is 90 percent of your projects x y and z 
because 90% of us are X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's just, it makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? It makes sense. I don't want, it's not to be insensitive. It's just, you know, this is mother nature. No, not, not at all. And so the approach for a new developer has to be about balance, like we talked about. And this is something this site, I'm going to try to pull up the page. It's under uh, the why and how header. I'm going to pull this up on screen. And they talk about balancing your development efforts between the reach, meaning the number of people who it applies to, like a change to your game, uh, the impact, which is the actual difference made for each of those people, and of course the value, which is like what it takes you to implement a certain feature. And then this website is just full of different features that are recommended for people with, you know, uh, people with vision impairments or, you know, somebody who can't use a controller the same way as somebody else. And from there you go, okay, how likely am I to run into this? Uh, what would it require from me and how can I incorporate it into my, uh, development? So, uh, one thing you have to think about is like when you would tackle this in a project. And I would say this website would be really good to check right. Maybe right after your prototype stage, like pretty early, uh, is, uh, is the right time to start thinking about, you know, when I have a good sense of how my controls are going to be, what my UI might look like, uh, what can I do just to make sure we're not excluding a large group of people from playing the game? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you would have to hit that pretty early because there's going to be a lot of design implementation decisions that hinge on that. I mean, everything you started to talk about, some of that stuff I read on the website, you know, yeah. can the UI can the UI be accessed by the same controls that you play the game with? And I thought, wow, like I never really ever thought about that. Right. And uh, that's huge, you know. Okay, I get that. You know, can the UI be reached with controls that you can actually play your game with? That way, you know, there's not a another device or another step here that's just not going to be capable for certain people. They're having a hard enough time dealing with a controller or something, you know? Right. And I think before we go too far, it probably does make sense to pull up this list and talk about uh, just, just some examples and, and things that we've maybe seen in games. Obviously, we won't go through everything on this site because there is a ton of content here. Ton. Which is a, awesome. awesome. Which is a good thing. But here's the basic list. It includes stuff like um, motor skills, allow controls to be remapped. That's an easy one. And it it's, really is. You don't see it in every game, and, and you can go as high up the chain as you want. AAA studios yep. do, do have plenty of games out where you cannot change either everything or just a few games you can't change anything at all about the controls yes i've seen uh reviewers ding um games for that you know why can't we remap and it's crazy yeah so i mean that that should be i like to think that should come naturally in in your thought process you should go we should allow people to control this game the way they prefer because i i don't personally think designing the way a person uses the controller is really part of the game design process. So I think you need to come up with something that does work and leads to a smooth play experience. But I do think uh, it's probably good for you to provide that flexibility. Yeah, I think here's the approach I would probably take, to be honest with you. I'd probably take the approach because I, I like games with controllers uh, a lot. Like I love when the controller feels like it's really like a part of your experience. It's probably because we grew up in that era. Right. So... 
I like games that have just the controls feel right. But if I developed a game, I'd also be like, if you want to completely jack this up and make this game way harder to play than it needs to be, <laughs> for so, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, because I designed the controls as easy as I could think, and you just want to change it for the sake of changing it, and then I would just, yeah, you know, there it is. But then that's just me thinking as an able person. So when you right. put it into when you put it into the regards of a disabled person, it's like, oh, oh yeah, then of course let's remap and reconfigure. I mean, that's just a no brainer. Sure. Uh, let's look at one from the cognitive uh, category. And, and really, these are categorized by um, sort of families of uh, impairments, disabilities, things that might impact a person's ability to play a game. Include interactive tutorials. Uh, you know, that's another thing. That should come about naturally or certainly, uh, even if you don't call it a, tu- a tutorial, a portion of the game that definitely holds your hand briefly. You know, we've yeah. we've talked about this. Like, do you include it? Do you let it go? And in in terms of accessibility, they you know strongly advise that you do include interactive tutorials. That makes sense. And this sort of this category sort of veers into reading stuff as well. Um, Using easily readable f- default font size. This is another one you don't think about. Like, people wear glasses, and people may or may not be able to interpret your uh, small ass text. You know, you're, just because it because it looked awesome to you or cute, right? You you love yeah. this font you found that's available for free, and it looks all blocky and space age futuristic. It's like that doesn't mean you know maybe your friend who has to wear uh, super strong glasses to legally drive like he would like to play this game too. So yeah, so it's it's something I liked was this one that said allow players to progress through text prompts at their own pace. I was just looking at that. I, I, I like that a lot, too, because that helped me when I was very young to try to play RPGs that were too advanced for my age. And actually, right. actually that's actually where I credit a lot of my uh, reading skill from when I was real yeah, little no trying kidding. to play harder games. Yeah, this this is huge for people who may have been having trouble reading your font in the first place, like we just talked about. <laughs> yeah. People who aren't that good at reading yet. Or me, because I read slow as hell. I am a I kinda slow do too. Re- I'm a professional writer, I run a website, I blog, I do all this stuff, and I read slow as hell. And I have to go back for stuff. Like, it's like my focus isn't that great, and I, it's, this is reality, you know? Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a factor in, uh, that we share in that regard where it's just like, I think we really, at least this is how I feel when I read, I really want to make sure that I understand what's being written versus think I understand what's being written. Yeah. And so you really look at it like a set of instructions, like, you know, you're really, you're really looking at it <laughs> and, and then you realize everyone else is on the next page and you're still really looking at this like, okay, so that, and this is like, you, you know, making sure that you like know it, not think you know it. Cause sometimes yeah. if I read too fast, it's just like, Oh, well, I just think I know this. I don't really know it. Right. And there are more categories for uh, vision and hearing is a big one. Provide subtitles for all important speech. I will go further than that. Provide subtitles the way you see them on the TV sometimes that describe events and loud noises and like have a, have many levels of subtitles. And I mean, just include everything. One of the disabilities they talk to, they speak about on the uh, why and how page is situational impairments, which are like you are an able-bodied person. However, when you play games, maybe you're in a super bright room or a super loud room and you are not able to focus entirely on what you're doing. 
Uh, you know, you may have a hearing impairment. You may not. You may just have your, your kid running around slapping at your knee or whatever. Daddy, daddy. Um, okay, you probably shouldn't be playing games if that's the situation. But <laughs> maybe a window's open and traffic is loud. Let me decide what kind of subtitles I would like. This is this is a big one, and it's not hard to do. No, it's not hard to do at all. And Well, you damn near have a computer do it for you this day and age. I mean, I guess if you're making, like, Halo 7 or something... Uh, it becomes a harder job, but like most games at the indie level, like you could do really great subtitles without too much effort. I mean, there's gotta be some kind of variant of like the Google voice recognition stuff where it can transcribe what you say and that you could just plug into something. There's gotta be something like that you can get. And then you would just have to have a proof of it. Maybe that's interesting because maybe, uh, you could use that just outside the game. You know, if you had a game that you were playing that didn't include something like that, maybe it could run and overlay text over the screen. Like, different ideas come up, but... Um, you know, wait a minute, man. That's a that's a cool piece of tech that I'm pretty sure probably exists, but that's an interesting to think about. Just it an seems application. like it would, right? And, uh, yeah, just an application like that. But let's move on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wide choice of difficulty levels. This is under the general category, and I'm, I'm really just trying to give a sense of, like, all the sort of areas this touches... Because, again, people hear accessibility, you think of, like, somebody who uh, lost their legs in an accident or something. Like, this could be very, very routine, very simple stuff that does not require much effort on your part. Yeah. Now, an interesting thing here is this. This, this, my story about Mad Max kind of plays into you bringing up the difficulty level choices. There are difficulty level choices in that game. But even then, that race was too hard. So that's an interesting uh, thing to have happen in in your game i don't know that 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 poses a unique problem and i don't right. know how you would try to remedy something like that i guess if earlier on in the process you would have had to have probably faced that reality before you know you're going to launch something finished i think that's a good segue into um my my last portion of notes about this is called the process which is to say you know your experience implementing these these things in the name of accessibility uh, they they talk about a few key points when you're developing for impairments. And the first one is when you're implementing this stuff and actually developing these features, do everything you can. Let go of what you can't. So, I mean, if you have something that would basically break the game or make it not fun, even if you did have the feature, uh, you know, let it go. Don't let anybody guilt you over it. Every Every change you do make, every conscious decision you make during your development so that the most people possible can play your game, it's it's going to be huge for somebody. Somebody will probably, whether you hear from them or not, they will probably open it up and experience this and go, oh, they did this just for me. I love this, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, another big part of the process that they mention is, <laughs> and this, this didn't immediately jump out at me because it's something that maybe I dropped the ball on a little bit. Do inform people about the decisions you make and the features that you implement so that when they are looking for games to play that that uh, are accessible to them, they will find your game. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Maybe it's not common sense. I didn't think of it. Maybe people are smarter than me. But um, well, I mean, you're you're touching on something that might be pretty important for the community to have right. on the on the notes um, from your show notes and the knowledge um, contained on the game accessibilityguideline.com. He said twenty percent of casual gamers are reported to have disabilities. I yeah, mean, I didn't break down the stats, but they are on the on the uh, website. 
Like, 15% of the overall population has a disability. It's up to 20% among casual gamers, uh, which may account for a number of things because, you know, maybe people with uh, disabilities or injuries or impairments uh, just naturally take to games because maybe it demands less of them or, yeah. uh, you know, it's just more natural Makes for them. Sense. It, that does make sense. Um, so you're for, talking a fifth from, a, I mean, I hate to, to throw them into this, like, uh, mindset of, of, of a corporate uh, mindset, but at the same time, let's be frank, you're trying to make money. You're talking a fifth of your potential market here you can alienate. Exactly, yeah. it's it's huge. You do have to consider, and I mean, when it's something that will convince you to do this, I think it's okay to provide those stats. But yeah, if, if a fifth of your customers or potential customers can't play your game for some reason, you, you do have a problem. You have um, a big problem. And yeah. then it, it breaks down some of like the non-disability impairments that uh, like 14% of adults have a reading age below 11 years old, according to some statistic. I, that surprises me. Like that's more than I would have thought. So uh, way that's, more. That's worth thinking about. It says 8% of males suffer from some form of colorblindness. I actually thought that was more because I feel like in the 90s when we were growing up and going and going through school and stuff, like it was a big deal. Maybe. I know like a half a dozen <laughs> colorblind people. I feel right, like, like I know the entire 8%. <laughs> yeah, you may know all of them. Yeah, uh, I, I I feel like everyone knows somebody who deals with colorblindness, and that sucks. You know, that's yeah, no good. And then it says, you know, people routinely suffer injuries and stuff. Your arms in a cast, and you can't play Call of Duty. Like I get that. Yeah. Now, before we move on from colorblindness, yeah. you may not have been aware of this PUBG kind of uh, controversy about the colorblind option. Did you know that that was going on for a little while? I feel like I heard something about it and didn't look into it. What was that? So, so there was an option. I'm sorry. I have to retract this. It's not about colorblindness. I'm remembering better. I'm not going to misremember like that. Who was <laughs> newscaster? I have to stop myself. But I think it might have been an option for countries that didn't want you showing blood. But it, regardless, it made the blood neon blue. And when you change it in your game, you can see someone getting shot from hundreds of meters away that you could normally not see. Oh, well, And so okay, people so were just switching their... Switching the thing, thing yeah. over. No, it's it's sort of the same the same thing as if it were a colorblindness issue, and then it introduces this thing that changes the game. Like that's definitely worth uh, talking about because that's the sort of thing you would be worried about if you go, okay, I, I need to introduce this feature, but what does it do to my game? Right. You got to think about that every time. Um, Mortal Kombat did that with green blood on. What, yep. the Super Nintendo? What, yep. Super Nintendo or Sega? I think it was probably it was Super, Super Nintendo. Nintendo. It was Super Nintendo. Sega had some of the most violent games <laughs> I had ever played. Sega wanted to be for grown-ups, so. Did you remember Doom Troopers, I think is what it was called? Doom Troopers? No. Yeah, on Genesis? Um, hold on, man. Yeah, that's it. That's That was, that game, that game did things to me. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Doom Troopers, yeah. When I, when I was young, it, it kind of messed with my head a little bit. It was one of the most violent things I had played. Good old Sega. Uh, <laughs> where were we? So, yeah, when when you're informing users about the stuff you do, put it on your website. Here was something interesting. There are accessibility gaming review sites that specialize in uh, determining what games are appropriate for what people based on different conditions, stuff like this. So if you reach out to those sites, that's an easy way to get that message to the right people. So it's something we don't know about as much, but like anyone with a condition of any kind probably is all over that. Oh, yeah. You would think so for sure. So that's definitely worth doing. Uh, you know, put that out on you know, social media. Just mention it. 
And then uh, the, the last point they talk about in the process is called review and learn. So they, they talk about after you do this stuff, go back and, and sort of analyze what, what impact it had, uh, what is in use, what affected your game. I would say at this stage, also interact with anyone who will interact with you about this stuff. And this this is where I'll tell a personal story because when I made my game Letter Taps, I had a lot of similar decisions to make because of the nature of my customers who were small children and their parents. Uh, it's, it was obviously to teach kids the alphabet and counting and stuff like that, but uh, little kids don't have the same grip strength we do, so that informed my, my choice about, you know, should this be in portrait or landscape? I found, yeah. that, I found that kids were able to hold a phone in portrait mode much easier. Yes. And they were able to use it much better, and that they would always have, like, at least one extra finger on the screen, so you actually yeah. had to support multi-touch just to use single touch. So, um... I, I think I had to support like three or more fingers just to get my son's one finger to register while he did stuff on the screen. So it had to ignore the first like two or three that held the thing in place. And then after I released the game, see, I did all this stuff. And uh, this was how my approach, my strategy changed. I did all this stuff on the way because I thought this is what people are going to need. These are the kind of buttons people are going to want. This is how to hold the phone. And I, in my own head, I convinced myself I knew everything I needed to know, which was nonsense. So I'd, I released the game. I was doing that Q&A with that group of uh, teachers and educators and stuff on Facebook. And dozens of, of parents and teachers and therapists and stuff brought stuff to my attention like, this is cool, but in my practice, I use this certain stand for kids with um, certain developmental delays because they I don't depend on them to hold the thing. I just want them to touch the thing right. So could you maybe turn it over and support this game in, in uh, landscape instead of portrait? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I need to. So <laughs> after mm. your, your game launches, that's when you're, when you're going to get all the answers. Here's what people needed. And if you're willing to go back and make a change for somebody... That is where you're going to stand out. While I do think it's important to take some of these no-brainer things like let people progress through text prompts at their own pace, um, you know, maybe consider colorblindness on the way in, you're also going to get feedback, so you may want to save some of those resources and some of that time for after launch because that's when you're going to find out what counts. Gotcha. So people don't really talk about that because I think a lot of people talk about it without having to do too much of it. Having been, you know into that ocean a little bit. Let me just tell you, you, you do want to be ready to address issues after launch. And that's when you're going to learn the most, I think. That's awesome. That's a, that's a pretty good piece of advice. Um, you know, to, to be prepared for something you can't necessarily be prepared for, I guess. Exactly. That's the whole thing. It's like you, you think you can do this just a plus right before launch. And, uh, you, you may find out otherwise. All you have to do is be approachable. Uh, be accessible to people and uh, be genuine. You know, be concerned about the people who are playing your game because everybody deserves to be able to enjoy it if, in fact, it's something you can do for them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, an interesting little side story here. Uh, our buddy Josh, who uh, is a, a friend of mine from uh, early on, teen years, we were always gamers together. We played video games all the time, all summer, all night, and... At age, like, 24 or something, he, for the first time in his life, was playing a video game and had a bad seizure. Like, dropped to the floor, like, super scary, like, what's going on with this guy? 
<laughs> and uh, you you see like epilepsy warnings and, and all kinds of things for uh, gamers. I didn't realize it could just creep up on you like that. Man. Um, yeah, so even even if you're able-bodied and uh, very healthy, you just never know. I've been around one person that had a seizure. Um, I'm pretty sure it might have been their first one. That's scary and as shit, man. Dude, it really... It's a it's a it's a pretty hateful experience, and so awful. That's stuff. a that's a bummer. Yeah. Anyway, we I mean, this is the sort of thing we could spend as much or as little time on. I would encourage people to check out GameAccessibilityGuidelines.com. I'll pull that up on the screen one more time for good measure. Again, it's got categories, very basic stuff, intermediate stuff, advanced stuff. Uh, you can pull up the full list just to look look through and familiarize yourself with all those things. I recommend people do that. And again. I think the most important thing you can do is uh, be accessible to people. Listen with your ears and with your eyes when you're looking at the screen and uh, find out what people need from you. And you, you can find out your project's specific and unique needs that way. Yeah. It's not one size fits all, but you just you have to be willing to put in the work. Yeah. I mean, so much of this is case to case. So many design decisions. Yeah. So... With uh, the time we have remaining, I want to do more of this. I want to sit with you and uh, basically answer questions. Answer uh, important quandaries people have, things people bring us, things we find around the web. There there are a lot of interesting topics that come up for game developers and designers and uh, people who are creative in the way that we aim to be. And I think they're worth talking about. So... You can tap out any time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot some stuff at you, and I'd like to discuss it with you. Does that sound good? Hey, man. I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if this were to take off, I'd love to do whole shows this way, because this is the part I love. I love picking people's brains and finding out what is, what is important to people. Yep. And um, the accessibility thing, it's such a, an awesome topic because it is so neutral and, and kind of all-encompassing and gives something in the community uh, – the thought process that that can be something. What am I? How am I trying to say this? Um, the words are escaping me. So it's a good <laughs> use for your time. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's it's something that the community can come together with, look at, and be like, here's a good use for everyone's time. Yeah. And uh, it's cool. I think the world needs that in general, but also uh, gaming. Some sometimes is is pointed and. Uh, intense is the politics and stuff that surround it can be my goodness yes so i guess this is a good way to make sure that each show contains something useful and then something like loot boxes which (laughs) which will be the topic of the first question not completely loot boxes but so the question sort of boils down to is the line becoming blurry between gaming and and gambling. And the background behind this question is I participate in a special interest group in the International Game Developers Association Facebook group, or one of their Facebook groups. And the admin runs a blog where she posts just entries and different stories and asks questions trying to get people engaged. The thing that she posted recently, her name is Sandy Chen, and she posted what looked like a guest story by uh, Gustavo Guida, who is the founder of a startup called Saferize. And it is about, it's sort of about digital addiction, which is to say that it accuses game developers of using loot boxes loot crates, uh, in-game currency to get them hooked the way a casino would hook 
gamblers. It accuses game developers of doing that to players, and it asks the question, you know, should this be stopped? Should this be controlled? Should this be regulated? And I don't want to get into the entire thing, but do you think that question is fair? I mean, it kind of throws <laughs> me off. It kind of throws me off guard because I've never, I've never, I don't really participate in that market in right. the games. Right. I mean, I have, I have purchased a thing here or there from a store, especially from free to play games that are just wicked awesome. Sure. Um, you know, like Brawlhalla had to support that dev team. So yeah, give me all the characters and a bunch of skins. But uh I've never really participated in the gambling a- aspect of some of them or you know what's being charged as gambling the the purchasing of those random loot crates. Right. It's just really not something I do. And so that concept in and of itself is still kind of uh different and foreign to me. Yeah. So then so then adding this element of well gambling which it has been attempted to be charged with um very recently by the government and stuff right is it blurred i don't know that's a that's a tough question that's that's a tough question because it's like you get involved with well is progression tied to this is it just cosmetic is it give you an advantage does it not give you an advantage it's interesting to me that you're (laughs) sort right that you're sort of at a loss for an answer on this because I think to some degree I am as well. I, I think your point was well put that a lot of us who are of sound mind would use this as an opportunity to reward a developer for a game we like that we haven't paid anything for. So maybe if the random loot crates are their only form of taking in revenue, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, uh, we would probably go ahead and drop five, you know, ten bucks on it, not per day, not per week, not per month, but like, we would pick an amount of money that we wanted to pay for this game, and we would go, Bleh. we did this with uh, Tiny Death Star. You remember that? Yeah. We were like, oh, man, this game is so much fun. And eventually we just bought a pile of whatever to spend like five bucks on the game to say, hey, great. And that was right before they shut the development studio down. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I think it's interesting that you were kind of neutral on this because I'm going to tell you why I started that way and then went, no, thank you. I don't think the line is blurry. I think you have fabricated something here. So the author of this post uh, explains this, and I'm not going to pull it up um, just because it's it's long and wordy and everything. He uses a lot of hypotheticals and then uses a lot of like worst case scenarios throughout this post. Like, oh, these these things are very pricey and they almost never pay out and people get super hooked and they spend their parents' money and their parents don't know and all this stuff. It goes on and on and on. What are you doing to your camera? <laughs> I saw something on it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if you were trying to stop me by scaring me or what. No, um, no, sorry. So yeah, he, he goes on and on, just piles on with basically no evidence and the links that he, he uh, links to in the post, I had an argument for like everyone. He talks about like, well, people have rightly pointed out that, you know, this this is uh, classified as an addiction now. Okay, well, it's in a draft for classifications of addictions, and there is no actual definition underneath it yet. It's just like a heading in a category. I won't get into all that. However, um, at the end of this post, he goes, you know, what's what's a developer to do? Well, we have a product where a developer can implement this SDK that we have. Get this product. Get this. Saferize is the name of the, the company. If you use their SDK to uh, put your game out, 
parents on on the purchasing end of this game can go to a special for parents page where they can pay a monthly subscription fee to do stuff like watch their kids screen time and i i it doesn't say anything about how it addresses the actual loot box situation, but I guess it tries to interfere with that somehow as well. Um, I was blown away by this because then this this admin of this group presents this like it's not bullshit advertising. Like I was blown away because <laughs> it 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 names politicians who are like, well, politicians in the U.S. are have been slow so far to really put the screws to this thing, and the ESRB who rates these games. They also uh, have been very skeptical of our claims, blah, blah, blah. Everyone says you're full of shit, dude. So, like, you know, where where is there room for some personal responsibility? For kids, where yeah. is there room for parents to be parents? Once again, we always come back to this. Like, where do the parents step in? And they tried to bring up some weird argument about, like, well, it was revealed one time that cigarette companies were intentionally targeting youths and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, it's still up to your parents to shield them from that shit. Yeah. Well, no, that, 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 is, that is a good point. And so that's why I, I guess my mind was kind of leaning towards the, this not making sense to blurring the lines between gambling because I would call it gambling if progression was directly tied to this. And the games that have attempted to do that have backpedaled and fairly quickly in recent right. memory that star wars battlefront game backpedaled a lot oh um, boy yeah and now that i think its system is completely gone out of the game if if i remember correctly like just straight up gone now with no intentions of coming back and so there's been there's been some good things happen there to, to keep it from being part of your progression and i think that that is where the hill that i will end up standing on in the discussion to be you know if these stay away from progression and you being able to change your experience in the game more directly than just the color or cosmetic of an outfit so yeah. if it's unlocking a, a triple jump where everyone else just double jumps right. okay we got a problem now yeah. i will now we can start blurring the lines between gambling here because yeah now you're really messing with me if i want to get the full experience if I want to win the game, I've got to take a chance and stick 25 real cents in this thing and yank the handle and see, am I going to, am I going to get the triple jump? Yeah. Got it. <laughs> right. Okay. So it now, only took $50. Yeah. Right. And so if that was taking place, I think this guy might have a little more of a leg to stand on, but because it's not, and it's not really happening anywhere blatantly. Um, although I do agree it is somewhat predatory. Yeah. Still, you, you you said made a pretty good point. Where's personal responsibility, and well, self control fits into personal responsibility. Where are the parents at in the situations? It's not really game progression. I can't I can't help it if if somebody gets hooked on the cosmetics. I mean, and it's, not already, it's not gambling really. We've already axed one of these arguments before. Where people go like, well, but it's they designed this stuff that stimulates the pleasure centers in the brain. Like, we've already addressed this. Like, so does baseball. Yeah. So does reading a book. Like, so does doing well on a test. So does karate so does kicking lighting. someone in the face. Like, it, so does lighting a fart on fire. No, just <laughs> <laughs> like, it goes on and on. You cannot categorize all these things as addictions to make your case stronger. That's just how your brain works. It's... It's silly, but we, we won't dwell anymore on that. I just thought it was interesting because we both started this going like, eh, 
I could see the argument, but the way he put this post together and then uh, shilled for his company in this SDK thing that he's trying to sell to people to to take money from parents on a regular basis, I, I went 100% like the other direction. No way. Forget it. Yeah. And for something that you should just be doing as a parent anyways. Hey, how long have you been holding that thing? Go outside. It's nice. Yeah, yeah put that down. <laughs> go ride your bike. It's really right, easy. It's nice. Go outside we're, real quick. We're both parents. We both do this already. Okay, let's do another question. I'll tell you what. Let's let's do a short question. Do you prefer physical or digital games? This question was from uh, Twitter. Physical. Okay, why? I just like it. I think it's cool. I like having the disc and installing it, but do but is it practical? That's my next <laughs> that's my <laughs> question to that. Yeah. I like the physical game, but the practicality factor really makes it to where it's it's going to be tough. You feel like the guy wanting the record stores to stay around when Spotify is just so damn easy. Right. Uh, on my side, I will go ahead and take the other approach. I do. You've seen my collection of physical games. Like you've seen the, the big special bookshelf thing that I put together. It's cool. Uh, I had to buy another one. So there are twin bookshelves full of games and I have come – all the way around, I will only do digital games these days. So, and I used to love the trip to the store too. Like that was a fun thing. I like love you it. Go man. and take a lap around GameStop or even Target or whatever, just see what they got on sale. I don't do it anymore. I do the digital downloads, and I've been rewarded already many, many times over as uh, these new consoles start to support more and more of the old games. Um, well, it's it, you can make an argument either way because if you. Um, <clears throat> Have your old discs sitting around. Sometimes you can shove them in the Xbox and they'll work. Sometimes you can just re-download them and you've, you've got it. Like I've got a giant Xbox library now and I have very few discs. And it's just, I feel like I'm getting rewarded as time goes on. Like everything seems to work better and work a little faster and everything's just, I don't have to worry about this disc anymore. I've, I've gone the other way. You know, I... That's the practical sense. I hate to be this guy, but I'm like 50-50. I'm torn down the middle on this. Part of me absolutely loved the experience of the boxes um, and installing the game like that. And then having that, it was cool. But practical. Sometimes you gotta. Sometimes you just got to go for what's practical. And it is really, honestly, very nice to not have to worry about having discs to look after. Yeah. And, uh, boy, I, I got back on the Xbox Game Pass, and that has been really nice, too. Just speaking of digital copies, I can just download something out of their library now and play it. Ooh. It's so nice. <laughs> they've added a lot of really good games. They've they've really made that pretty valuable. You just reminded me I need to check something with my Humble Bundle. I lost access to an old email that is associated with a bunch of my accounts. Oh, my God. And, uh, okay, and so I now we're getting into a problem with digital, and that's fair enough. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I want to close out with the final question on my list. Well, we skipped several, but do you think that game developers should ever crunch, go into crunch time schedules, work, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 hour weeks? Do you think there's ever a situation that should happen? It depends. Um, I don't like to do that during creative processes of anything. If you're coming up with anything, you're writing something, a creative paper, you're writing a song, you're writing an album, you're writing a book, you're writing a movie script. I think you really – you can't just hammer that out. Yeah. Um, I think your controls of your game are somewhat in that category. 
I just think that it would be easier because there's only so many options and a few of the really popular choices like Wasad and stuff uh, just makes sense for accessibility reasons and a lot of other reasons. There's some things that will just make some of those process, uh, processes easier, but some of it after you get the design down, the blueprint so to speak, and you kind of take a virtual tour of what's going on, yeah, now it's time crank this thing out let's yeah. let's get rolling and those are the, that's my that's sometimes my favorite and least favorite part of a project when you get to that point and you're like okay this is the do work phase part of me likes it because it's just do work and yeah. it's a easier on you and part of me dislikes it because creativity's gone now now it's time for you to go get the buy two get one free monsters and a bag full of barbecued corn nuts right <laughs> and hole, and hole up for a night you know yeah <laughs> So, and I think we'll both have somewhat unpopular opinions about this. Uh, I I hear you. I get that. I totally do. I think that, okay, I want to clarify, it should never be, like, permanent. It should never be, like, you're always oh. expected to do no less than 60 hours a week. Obviously, yeah. that's bad. Yes. And I, I think you brought up a good point also that uh, it shouldn't – it's it's tough because of the creative aspect of the job. It is hard to be creative – and not have that impacted by losing sleep or by not having time where you go home, spend time with your family. However, I think that uh, for most creators of any kind, crunch is sort of a natural way of life. I I think that it comes and goes in waves. I think that uh, some, okay, some of it in the industry is caused by poor management. That's very obvious. Now, but even as an indie when I wanted to get my game out and I said, no excuses, this has to happen, I've put a day on the schedule, on the calendar, that this is going out. I did miss that that day, but I went into my own crunch time. It consumed my life. You can ask my wife. Like Things got rough for a while. Uh, I was not doing very basic things I should have been doing for myself or for the people around me, but I was doing this. Right, exactly. You've done this with albums and stuff. Like It is a natural part of a creative project. And I explained this to my wife. I said, you know, in, in the in the proper industry, this is a big thing. And it's it's a big topic of debate. And she said, why? And she's a doctor. I said, well, okay, because they people don't feel like they should ever break like 90 hours in a week. And then I'm talking to somebody who's done a 115-hour week. Like it's it's been yeah. absolutely insane for her like during med school, during residency. And she said, you know, if, if I – insisted that I was going home at 5 p.m., I'd be nowhere. I would have accomplished nothing. Yep. And I said, yeah, but it's it's different, like, with the creative element. And I started to sort of run out of reasons that this was a good argument because I, I realized, like, people who achieve things, who create things, especially people who create things, yes, it is hard to get around this. And it it's sort of natural. You know, it's uh, composers of, of great symphonies and stuff like that. They, they did the same things. It was, I'm, I'm locking myself in this room. Do not come yes. in unless it's, you know, unless the place is burning down. It's, I think it's natural to do this. And I also damn sure think to really achieve something, sometimes it's required. Again, I don't think it should ever be always. But I think sometimes you're going to have to nut up and shut up. And it's there's not going to be much else you can do. I know personally when I when I do projects like this, there's always going to be a certain mode I slip into where it's like, okay, this last week it's going to be, it's it's not going to be an hour count. It's going to be when I'm awake. This is what I'm going to be doing. Yes, and you, and you have to and you have to get to that point. 
it's interesting too because as I've developed through the years with doing larger projects, you got to know when to say I'm going in. And then you got to know when to say, I got a plan because there's moments to where I sit and I plan and I plan because I've got other social media ideas that I've been stewing up for a long time, for instance. And you got to go and you got to plan and you got to plan and you got to think and you got to plan and you got to make sure. And then you're like, okay, this is, this is, I'm glad I took this much time to think about this. Then there's other things where you just got to say, I'm going to do it. And a lot of times creating something that will interact with the physical. Now, the reason I said that so in such an odd way is that I can equate this to going outside and completing a yard project, which has been consuming my life because I did a <laughs> classic dad move yeah. and created a ton of yard work for myself. Like I have so much yard waste to burn now. It's like staggering. I have tons of brush and I've got more more work to do and it's kind of like, oh, well, I just can't leave this. <laughs> I can't leave it like this. Yeah. So anyways – um, that's a little bit easy to just say, okay, go out there and just start doing it. But when you're making a game, you're still at the end of the day going, it's got to have some kind of human element to it. So it's going to interface with the material plane, so to speak. And to get something like that to happen in the physical world, that almost always requires elbow grease yeah. in order for that thing to actually exist in the three dimensions in front of you. And so the the best way to, to say that with your game is, do you have the thing that that's playable? Can we interact with it? You know? Yeah. And, and that's the part that I can almost guarantee you is going to require the, that woodshed mentality where you got to, like you just exactly like you said, to get this symphony done, I got to lock myself in here. We got to go, you know, he, you know, you, you, you might have a rough outline of the movements. If those are written in any way that I imagine, some of the things that I write, yes, you outline it like a story. If you want it to flow like that, you're essentially creating a story through music. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's the tempos are designed that way. The key changes are designed that way. Um, right. And then when it comes time to putting in those pieces, that's when you lock yourself away and you're like, okay, what is my, what is my minor transition and down tempo section sound like? Like what's going to happen here? And that's when you really start putting that elbow grease in and making it real. So, man, I'm I'm fired up just talking about getting stuff done. <laughs> I, I know, I know. This and that's the mode you have to get into. Like, people would listen to this and say, like, "Hey, you don't get it. You don't know what the industry is like." Hey, I'm I'm an indie and I'm a, a solo freelancer. You don't get it. You don't know <laughs> what it's like to be on the hook as the single response responsible party. Who could be threatened with court because <laughs> you, you've got a contract and at the exact same time, your code, your graphics, your audio all blow up at once into these like monster tasks that you, you know, things have come up that you couldn't have planned for. And they all, you know, fall behind schedule at once. Like, I do get it. I get it because it's like it's your job, but also it's your life. And people yeah. don't want to treat it as their lives, but they also want to have the same results as the guy who... Uh, who came up with Stardew Valley and did like basically had no interaction with the outside world for like five years. You know, he, he sat alone in a room and did this nonstop. Like you're not going to get, he those said results. all he did for almost three and a half years was go to work, eat some kind of tiny meal, like ramen noodles right. and design this game for like, he said it was, his life was like that almost every day for like three and a half years 
near and then when it was nearing the end of the project you know it, it he was able to free up a little more time but still like really consider that and that was an entire one man thing that's just incredible to me and people want to talk like why is this indie game so good and this one isn't as popular it's not a mystery you know no. it's, there are going to be some exceptions but that was a direct result of the investment of himself that he put into that project. And I'm not saying that's fair and I'm not saying it's ideal, but that's reality. So it is. I totally, I, I am very sympathetic with, with game developers in the industry who go like, this isn't fair. I don't see my family. I don't get paid enough. I get it. I don't always get paid anything. Yeah. And, you know, it is, it is the same on the outside. Like it is a problem, but it's something that you can either deal with or you could probably pick something else to do. Because you're yeah. not going to get a lot of results if you go, I have three hours to devote to this, or I have, you know, uh, I don't have to do anything else, and I have eight hours to devote to this. Even yeah. that is, boy, you're going to have a tough time. Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at Stardew. I'm glad you brought it up. This guy has, like, perfect ratings, 76,000 reviews, 97% overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. So It's incredible. And he's done really well for himself. It's too bad that it had to happen that way, but it probably did have to happen that way. Yeah, you know, and you can tell that game is made by one person, and it, and it, it's pretty cool. Like it just it just screams of the singular vision that was carried out to fruition. You know, yeah, it really does. And the problem was he was not guaranteed a dime, no, so he, he could have come away with absolutely nothing to show for it. So he it was could, totally. it was one of the greatest risks of his life. And it paid off, but for how many people risk that and it doesn't pay off? So you gotta you gotta weigh these things, and then you've got to put your whole self into it. Yeah. So I'll, and then I'll call it. Oh, you call it on question time, but in, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna end on this for you to give you know maybe a young developer that's listening to this, and if you believe in your project and you want to take that kind of plunge, let's talk about the cold hard numbers here, just to the people that reviewed this game. You know, he generated that gener at the price sold on Steam. That total generated. I don't know how that all works. What percentage goes to Steam? Which percentage goes to him? Which percentage goes to the publisher? I don't know what kind of deal you strike for that. But anyways, the total generated revenue from just the reviews on Steam would be a hair over a million. Mm -hmm. And that's just the people that reviewed the game. So you got to consider when it went to other platforms because I think it went to the Switch and Xbox than all of the people that own it and didn't review it, like me. I don't think I reviewed oh, yeah. it. I, actually, I, I might have reviewed this one, actually. But there is a reason that... I did. <laughs> <laughs> there is a reason that when you hear from successful studios and successful indies, they almost all say the same thing. So many interviews include this, this phrase, if I had known what it was going to take, I probably yeah. wouldn't have done it. Yeah. They all say that, and that's... <laughs> you, you, and there's a reason for that and the reason is not that 5pm rolled around they went well I gotta go and you can't make me work anymore I'll see you you know tomorrow at 8 or 9 o'clock it doesn't always work that way Yeah. so uh, do with that what you will take it seriously because uh, this this development game will ruin you if you're not careful no kidding <laughs> Thank you. 
So, uh, hey, if you guys like the podcast, please uh, help us out by subscribing. You'll get the show before anybody else, and uh, that's the best way to support us right now. And we we love the comments. We love the feedback that we get. So um, check us out, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, everywhere you can think of. And if you enjoy it, just share it with a friend. That helps us out. So uh, thank you, John, for your time. John salutes and says nothing, and, uh, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll get back with some uh, live dev streams real soon. Work on our uh, Marvel Ma- Marvel Madness type game again soon. That'll be awesome. And uh, thanks everybody. We will talk to you soon as we can. Absolutely. Farewell.